I'm already missing being with you guys, especially on a day like today when you got to combine service and have so many of you together. But I know it's going to be a great time while I'm on vacation, I mean sabbatical, excuse me, yo, you guys have been rubbing off on me. Uh, while I'm on sabbatical, that you're going to get to hear some great speakers, starting today with Dylan Kirkland. Dylan is no stranger to Landmark, he grew up here, parents Zane and Cheryl Kirkland, some of our greatest leaders. And Dylan, from youth group on, was always a great leader in our church. Did great things at Troy University in the campus ministry there. Met his beautiful wife, Emma. He's been working for Pioneer uh, Bible Translators over the last couple years. Uh, Dylan has a great heart for ministry and a great future. On top of all of that, he's just really a great preacher. He loves the Word of God. He loves to share. And you're going to be blessed to hear him today. Well, good morning feels a little bit wrong to make a joke about how we can't get rid of Buddy even when he's on sabbatical after he says something so nice. Um, but I really am glad to be here. I'm happy selfishly because I love to preach and I love to be here with you all and especially when we kind of have the first and second service crowd. But also happy for Buddy that, that he gets his time. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, the, the slides will be behind us. The book of Romans I really love. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul kind of starts this way. He says, hey, all you Gentiles, you're a bunch of sinners and you're no good. And then in chapter 2, he says, hey, all you Jews, you're a bunch of sinners and you're no good. And then in chapters 3 through 6, he says, this is why we need Jesus. Now, if you're reading Romans chapter 7, or even up to that point, you might be forgiven for starting to think that maybe the law isn't good. Because the Jews had the law. And they're just as sinful as the Gentiles. The Gentiles kind of had a law written on their hearts and they were still sinful. So what good is the law? We're going to pick up and for time's sake we're going to start reading in verse 14. But in verse 7 through 13, Paul begins to address this. He says, hey, actually the law is a really good thing. Now it was insufficient to help us live a righteous life. That's why we needed Jesus. But the law was good because it pointed out our sin. And it helped us realize our need for a savior. And so this is where he picks up in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do, but I hate what I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who does it. But again, it's the the sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin and at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in the mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Man, doesn't that just make you want to shoot off some fireworks? What an uplifting message, Paul. You read verse 18. Go back with me. It says, I know that nothing good lives in me 
that is in my sinful nature because I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. You ever feel that way? You have the desire to do what is good, but you can't carry it out. The things you don't want to do, you end up doing. The things you want to do, you can't do. The way that we typically read this passage is we read it and we think, okay, that, that's talking about Dylan. It's talking about Paul. It's talking about us as believers. Here and now in the present. I want to challenge that reading and see if that's really what Scripture is trying to say here. And so this morning, if you've got a lifeline, so there's a place where you can take notes. I encourage you to do that. There's not going to be an outline, but you can take notes. And there will be really three main things I want us to look at today. First of all, I want us to look at what the passage is not saying. And then I want us to look at what it is saying, and then we'll talk about why it matters. So here's what Paul is not saying. This is what Paul is not doing in Romans chapter 7. Paul is not talking about himself in the present as a believer. Which means that Paul is not talking about us in the present as a believer. Now why might we think that? One of the reasons is that it's just the plain reading of the text. I read the text and Paul says I. So Paul must be meaning Paul. Why else would he say I if he doesn't mean Paul? Then Paul says I am. Now why would Paul say I am if he doesn't mean that he is? It's just the plain reading of the text. Paul is talking about himself in the present. And he's a believer, so it means we read it that way. What's the other big reason that we might read it that way? There's some smaller ones, but the other big one we've alluded to is that it just matches up with our lives. We all know what it looks like. Every single one of us, whether you gave your life to Christ decades ago or you gave your life to Christ this past week, we all know what it looks like after having been saved to want to do something and to live the opposite or to not want to do something and to fall into sin. And we read it and we say, man, this just matches up with my life and I know it matches up with all these other people that I love but that are sinful people. But that's actually not what Paul is saying here. How do we know that? Go with me to verse 18 and we're going to kind of work our way backwards. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now we read this and we start to think, okay, hold on a second. Paul, you mean to say that nothing good lives in me as a believer? I know I got a lot of rotten stuff in here, but what about the Holy Spirit? I think God himself living in my heart counts for something, right, Paul? Now you might read that and say, okay, but he clarifies. He says, that is in my sinful nature. You know, maybe it's that analogy of the two wolves and we kind of got both living within us. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit more and go to verse 17. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me. Sounds right when I look at my life. But then we start to think, okay, hold on. Because Galatians 2.20 says I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, so is it that I've been crucified and Christ lives in me, or that it's not really me, it's the sin living in me? And something seems not to match up. Go back a few more verses, and I think here's the most obvious way that we know that this is not Paul talking in the present about believers. Go to verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. Now, if you're here, you probably believe, like me, that God's word... Um, is inspired by the Spirit. And even though the Bible was written by a lot of different people, that God's Spirit is at work in it all, and that it all comes together. 
But you might read that and you might say, actually, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Maybe the Bible is in contradiction because Paul thought differently than some of the other apostles. Well, let's go to what Paul says. And we don't even have to go to what Paul says in a different letter. We could go to what Paul says to the church in Rome, one chapter before. In my Bible, it's the page right before. It might be the exact same page in your Bible. Go to Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. He says this, But thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul says in Romans 7 that we we know that the law is unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. But he says here in chapter 6, right before that, you've been set free from sin. That's who you used to be. But it's not who you are anymore. And so if Paul isn't talking about himself here in the present, then who or what in the world is he talking about? We can't say that the plain reading of the text that just makes sense isn't what it's saying without providing an alternative. And so here's what Paul is doing. About a year and a half ago, um, I was talking to the, the youth group guys. We were at the Crosby's, and I can't remember what point I was making, but I was telling a story. And I said, okay, if I walk into the middle school lunchroom and then told the rest of the story of what I would do in that scenario. Now, if I walked in a middle school lunchroom today, I would probably get arrested because I think I don't look like a middle schooler. <laughs> but nobody in the room said, Dylan, what are you talking about? Why would you be in the Baldwin middle school lunchroom again? Because they knew that I wasn't talking about myself, I was saying I to put myself in their shoes in order to make a point. And so what Paul is not doing in this passage is Paul is not talking about us in the present as believers. But here's what Paul is doing. Paul is speaking rhetorically in the place of Israel before Christ came in order to make a point. Paul's not saying I to literally talk about himself, the Apostle Paul. He's saying I to put himself in the place of Israel because he was a Jew before he came to Christ, still is ethnically a Jew. And he he says I to put himself in the place of Israel to make a point with some allusions to Adam. So let's go back to the first part of the passage that I didn't read. But Paul says in verses 7 and 8, actually the law is good because it helps us realize what's sinful. And then he says in verse 9, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And he gives this allusion to Adam. Adam is the only one that lived before the commandment came. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were alive apart from the law. Then the commandment came. God said, don't eat from this tree. And in verses 11 through 13, it says, sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. And you, you sort of had this allusion to what happened with the whole nation of Israel. Because the whole nation of Israel, and really all humanity, looks at Adam, and as sin came into the world, sin sees the opportunity afforded by the commandment, and sin arises. Then Paul keeps saying, I, but he's really putting himself in the place of the readers of this letter to explain to them what life was like before Christ. And so he says things like, um, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good, just like the Jews agrees that agreed that the law was good. And he says in verse 22, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, just as the Jews delighted in God's law. And yet, without Jesus, they couldn't uphold the law. And so the purpose of of what Paul is doing here is not to say in Romans chapter 7, hey, believers, you are still slaves to sin. 
but instead to say the freedom that I've been talking about in Christ in chapters three through six, that freedom that we have, we would have none of it if it weren't for Jesus because we were sold as slaves to sin. And Paul could put himself in the shoes of the nation of Israel and all the God-fearing Gentiles because that's who he had been too. So the purpose of Romans 7, Paul says the law is good because it helps us realize our sinfulness and realize our need for a savior. Not to say that we're still slaves to sin, but to realize that if it weren't for Jesus, we would have none of that freedom. And we know that because we see it in other places in scripture. Not just places like Galatians 2, but Jesus says in John chapter 8, whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. That's what Jesus says about believers. You might say, well, okay, Dylan, that sounds good. And and I know there's some other verses. 2 Corinthians says that we're a new creation. But what about the other passages? There's places like Colossians 3 that says to put to death the sinful nature. Why would we need to put to death the sinful nature if we're not still sort of slaves to sin a little bit. And, and I know there's things that we wait for in the resurrection. And Jesus says, whom the Son sets free will be free. So maybe it's talking about something in the future. Let's look at it this way. Let's say that you live downtown, and every day you work in this part of Montgomery, so you drive down the interstate and you take the Taylor Road exit day after day after day. But the city sort of keeps moving in the direction that it is, and there's a good job, and it's a little bit closer to Chantilly, so you get a new job. And every day as you drive to work, instead of taking the Taylor Road exit, now you need to drive to Chantilly and take your exit. We've all done this before, though. You start driving down the road, and you open your eyes, and they weren't really closed, but all of a sudden it's like, I've been driving a mile down the road, and a thought has not entered my head. You ever accidentally driven to your old house or your old school? I remember lamp changed buildings, and one time I missed the exit. Let's say one day you're driving down the road, and you're so used to taking the Taylor Road exit that you start to veer off the road and take the exit. Now, if you take the Taylor Road exit, does that mean that all of a sudden that you don't work for your new employer? No. If you take the Taylor Road exit, that doesn't by any means negate the contract that you've signed with your new boss. It doesn't matter how normal it seems to take the old path, if you start to take the Taylor Road exit, by no means does it mean that you have to show up to your old job and work for that day because you accidentally drove to the wrong place. Maybe you see where I'm going with this. See, in the business world, nepotism is a pretty bad thing. But in the kingdom of God, it's actually really rampant. Because here's what God does. God says when you come to Christ, not only do you believe in him, and not only are you forgiven of your sins and adopted as a son and as a daughter, but you're going to come work for me now. I know you didn't do anything to deserve this job. Actually, the resume that you submitted, it was probably one of the worst ones out there. You were pretty sinful. But you know what? Jesus earned you a job, and you're my son, you're my daughter, you're going to come work for me now. And you remember the old guy you used to work for? The one who said you could come work for him and you could actually be the boss? Remember the guy who said, I actually don't know what we do around here, so just do whatever makes you happy? Remember the guy who said there would be a lot of benefits with the job and it seemed really great at first? But then it seemed like the only long-term benefit was that he wanted to steal and kill and destroy? Yeah, you don't work for him anymore because you're going to work for me now. And it doesn't matter how normal it seems to take the old exit. There is nothing scripturally that says when Satan calls that you've got to pick up the phone and answer. 
There is nothing that says that because you used to be slaves to sin, that when Satan picks up the phone and he calls you and he says, hey, I need you to clock in and put in a few hours because we're short-staffed today. There is nothing biblically that says that we're obligated to throw up our hands and say, I'm a slave to sin. What can I do? In fact, the reason that Colossians says to put to death the sinful nature is because we're not slaves to our sin anymore. If we were still slaves to our sin and we were still in bondage to our sin, there would be no point in saying to put it to death because we would be hopeless. And so Colossians says, put to death the sinful nature because it's still going to seem normal to take the Taylor Road exit. It's going to seem normal to live that old way of life. But you can put it to death because you are not a slave to that anymore. It doesn't matter if the temptation is so strong that you've taken the exit and you've pulled up to work and you pulled into the parking space and you put your car in park. You don't work for Satan anymore. Romans 6 says that sin shall not be your master. And that's not who we work for. I think sometimes some of the confusion comes with the fact um, that we start to think about whether or not we could ever just stop sinning altogether. You know, you mean to tell me, Dylan, that we're not slaves to sin? I mean... That sounds great, but I could, we can't just go the rest of our lives and never sin again. It's a great mindset, but I know I'm, I'm going to sin. And there are actually people, I, 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 you know, I got a degree and I listen to people debate about whether or not we could ever stop sinning. You know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says, who cares? As you go out to, to live this week and you're tempted... What matters is not the sum of all the temptations that will come before. What matters is that in this given moment, you can choose Jesus. The truth of the word is that all of us who are believers in Christ have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when we're tempted, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. That when we're tempted, he provides a way of escape. That on the proactive, intentional, choosing righteous side, 2 Peter says that he's given us everything that we need to live a godly life. In Christ Jesus. That's what the word says. And so here's why it matters. It matters because this week, that moment is going to come. You're going to be driving down the road and you're going to see the rising gas prices like I have and think, man, I'm just not quite a giver. This is not really me. I really want to be different, but this is just kind of my sinful nature. You know, I work for Pioneer Bible Translators. A lot of y'all know. Some of y'all are the reason that I work for Pioneer Bible Translators. Man, I live on support. I don't, you know, I'm just not a giver. The moment's going to come when you're faced with an anxious thought. And you know that the word says not to worry, but to pray. Until God gives you peace, like Philippians says. But you're going to be tempted to say, I'm, I'm not going to pray because I'm just a worrier. It's just who I am. When your coworker, your child is just driving you nuts and you want to lash out. I've just got a temper. What can I say? You ever heard somebody say, I've just got the mouth of a sailor? Like I just have no control over what I say or who I am. The moment's going to come when you wake up Tuesday morning. And you have the opportunity to say, I'm just not a Bible reader. You know, I love those folks that are prayer warriors, but that's just not me. A couple weeks ago, we hosted a conference for prospective missionaries, and we were short-staffed in the nursery. So one of the recruiters had to take up the job. And I found myself saying, you know, that's just not really me. 
I'm just not a servant. And I hate to admit how much I tried to sin to get somebody to take that in my place. And here's the thing, that moment is gonna come this week or today or before you walk out of the building. Maybe it's something really serious, some type of addiction that you've been struggling with for years that you just can't believe that you could be free from. Or maybe it's one of those things where Satan is a little bit more um, sly. It's a little bit more secretive and subtle. And how we respond to temptation when that moment comes is largely going to be whether we believe that we're truly free from sin or whether we believe that we're still in bondage. Colossians also says, um, because we tend to think that we're 100% forgiven of our sins. You know, we sing these songs, we, I almost just didn't preach after communion because it was so good. And we hear that and we're like, praise God, I'm forgiven of my sin. But if we're not careful, we start to think that we're 100% forgiven. But Jesus only had the power to free us from about 95%. Colossians does say to put to death the sinful nature, but it also says in Colossians 1.13 that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Not that he rescued us most of the way. Not that he partially rescued us. Not that he will rescue us one day. Not that you got baptized and your foot stuck out of the water and that's why you have one kind of sin that you just can't quite get a hold of. But he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And it's decided. That is a present reality in the life of the believer that we've been free from sin. And church, the, the scripture is so confident of that fact that it says this in 1 John chapter 2 the good news of the gospel is not just that we're forgiven of the consequences of our sin but that we're freed from our bondage to sin and scripture is so confident of that fact that it says this in 1 John chapter 2 I write this to you so that you will not sin but if if anybody does sin We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus. The assumption is not that it's inevitable, that we just can't control ourselves and we can't help ourselves. Paul says that because it was definitely true. We were in bondage to sin and none of our goodness was going to get us out of that. But the assumption is not that it's inevitable that this week we're just going to keep messing up. The assumption is not that Satan still has a claim on some part of your life. The assumption is that because we're holy, because we've been called saints, because we've been set free, we will choose Jesus over and over again this week. But if, if one of us should sin this week, if a lot of us should sin, if all of us should sin, this week or today or before we walk out of the doors, we have one who speaks on our behalf and his name is Jesus. If you're not a believer today, um, this isn't the most popular thing to say, but The Bible also says that somebody else speaks on our behalf. Um, The Bible calls Satan a lot of things, but the word Satan actually means accuser. And Satan speaks on our behalf before God to accuse us of the things we've done wrong. I hope today you've heard a lot of good news. That we're not just forgiven of the consequences of our sin because of Jesus, but that we're freed from our bondage to sin. That the destructive habits and the broken relationships in your life, I believe, can only be restored through Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things that I don't know about the Bible. 
There's a lot of questions I don't have the answers to. But I know one thing. When I read the Gospels and I see who Jesus was, that's who I want speaking on my behalf. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, then whoever you came in the doors with, then ask them what it means to give your life to Jesus. Ask them how their life is different because of Jesus. Ask them any questions that you have. If you were just looking for a church and you just showed up today, one of the ministers on staff would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. I would guess there's a lot of us in this room that we've been thinking about that for a while. And here's what I would say to that. Sin's been ruining, Satan's been destroying your life for long enough. There's no need for pleasantries. You don't have to put in the two weeks notice. You can quit working for the old boss today. We got t-shirts, we got towels, we got everything but excuses. You could be baptized today, like the two that you saw this past week, and you could walk in a new life. If you want the prayers of this church in any way, if you need to confess some sin and say, I've been taking the old exit far too much, and I know that's not who I am, I know it's not what I was saved for, and I want to confess that sin before the church, you could confess that sin. If you need the prayers of this church, maybe you believe in your mind, but you're struggling to believe in your heart that we're really set free from sin, or even that we're really forgiven in the first place then we would love to surround you and pray for you and remind you of the truth of God's word, that sin shall not be your master because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus or if there's any way we can pray for you, come while we stand and worship together.